0: The Son of the Living God and be the glory for all. Came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to His disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at His words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to Him, See, we have left all and followed You. So Jesus answered and said, Surely I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for My sake and the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first.
1: Today is the fourth Sunday of the month of Hatur. and if you remember from last week, the past couple weeks, our Lord Jesus Christ has been sort of illuminating for us, uh, what does it mean to be a disciple, and what the cost of being a disciple. And today, our Lord Jesus Christ sort of pushes back against uh, what I think is maybe very prevalent in, in our culture these days. Like our, our, our culture describes sort of a path to spirituality or a path to heaven as like all roads lead there. You know, if you listen to maybe like any funeral sermon, you come away thinking the only requirement to get into heaven is that you die. You know, everyone is going no matter what. Why? Because you know, they're good people. They did more good than bad. It doesn't matter sort of what they believed. Hell is really only for the very, very bad people. That's not what the Bible tells us. Not all who think they're going to heaven are going to go there. It's not a wide path. It's a narrow one. Not wide, but narrow door. Some people who claim to know our Lord Jesus Christ will meet Him at the end. He will say that He never knew them. And we cannot make our own way. Have to follow God's way. And if we refuse Him and we refuse His way, we lose eternal life. We see this sort of in the events that happened in the Gospel that we read this morning. We see the rich young ruler coming to the right person, coming in the right way. right? He ran and knelt before Him. He respected our Lord Jesus Christ. He was like many, many people who came before Him, falling at the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ, begging for help. And actually in this case, He's not begging for help for like an illness. He's not worried about an exorcism for Him or one of His family members. He comes for a different reason. He's coming to ask a spiritual question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He was spiritually troubled. All his works that he had done thus far in his life, he still sensed there is some sort of lack. Stop for a minute if you ever thought for yourself that you felt like this person. I've been a good person. I've followed the rules. I've obeyed the laws. I've loved others as best as I can. I want to please God and I want uh, to go to heaven. But there is still maybe a sense of of lacking an ache an uncertainty that uh, I can't seem to like quiet or I can't seem to still. What, what am I supposed to do with that? Where can I find the answer to this this feeling, this longing? Good teacher, what must I do to inherit internal life? Sometimes we can be convinced that the people in society that seem to have it all have figured out life and, and are, are the happiest. Right? This rich, rich ruler is proof that that's not the case. Right, he, he's young, so he has his health and his youth. He's he's wealthy. Uh, in an, in the other gospel, it says that he's a leader of the synagogue, so it's like he, he's socially important. Uh, but we see that. But but he still has like this feeling of like there's something missing. I need more. And we actually see this in in today's society as well. I was I was listening to I was watching a few years back uh, an interview uh, a really famous uh, football player Tom Brady who like is like one of the best. Players and he's super rich and he has like a a supermodel for a wife. He has everything that you would think that would make you happy. And and the interviewer he's like saying he asks him some questions about his life and he says there are times when I'm not the person that I want to be. Why do I have Super Bowl rings and think think there's still something greater out there for me? And so like even him himself was somebody who has maybe seemingly from the outside everything. He felt like there's something missing. And actually the interviewer asked him, he's like, okay, well what's the answer? And actually he he responds, he goes, I wish I knew. I I don't know the answer, I wish I knew. I I have this feeling that there's something missing. Same question that the rich young ruler is asking our Lord Jesus Christ. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I'm missing something. I have everything, or seemingly from the outside, I have everything, but I'm missing something. Every one of us asks this question. We need or want certainty that only God can give us. Until then, no matter how much we have, all we can see is what's missing, what is our lack. That's all the, the rich man saw. That's all even in the interview with Tom Brady, that's all Tom Brady saw, even though he had all this stuff, what he saw is what he's lacking, something's missing. Our Lord Jesus Christ saw this lack in the rich young ruler as well. And that's why if you in verse 22, eventually, ultimately, the man goes away sorrowful. So how did he get there? How did the rich young ruler go from optimism, asking God what he needs to do to inherit life, to becoming disheartened so very quickly? Here's how. He came to our Lord Jesus Christ, he's asking a question, but he would not follow him to find the answer. He came to the right person, he came in the right way, but he wouldn't repent and believe, because he was looking for something to do, not someone to follow. He wanted to sort of make his own way, but there's only one way to eternal life and that is through following our Lord Jesus Christ. He trusted himself instead of trusting Christ. So many other people called Christ good teacher. Many people do this. They like, for example, just the way he is living his life, his moral example for others. Living a moral life, loving people, being self-sacrificial. They respect him as a good teacher. But that's it. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ asks him why do you call me good? Don't you know that the only person that is good is God? He's not saying, God. by the way, Christ is not saying that He isn't God. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying, if you're calling me good teacher, I want you to understand what you're saying. I want you to understand that I am God. Do you believe that I'm God? You can't just call our Lord Jesus Christ good teacher unless you are ready to accept Him as God. Was this man ready to accept this? And you can see in the story that we read today that He isn't. He looked for some sort of spiritual activity for him to add to his life. Like maybe like he wants him to go study something or a new way to, to live his life. Just maybe add, sprinkle in a little bit of a message from Christ and everything will be okay. But our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't work this way. He doesn't just point you in the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He's not like an addition to your life. It's more like He is a destruction to your previous life. Christianity itself, the life of being a Christian, is not something I add on to supplement the rest of my life so that I can feel good or do the right thing. It's a whole new life. If you want eternal life, it comes only through the life that God gives through His only begotten Son. So our Lord Jesus Christ begins to start kind of deconstructing this man's idea of himself. He wants to know what to do. And he tells him, he goes, you know, look at the commandments. You know the commandments. And he starts summarizing God's law. And the man says, I've obeyed all these things from since I was a little kid. What is the response of our Lord Jesus Christ when He said, I've always followed these things? He doesn't say, for example, like, no you haven't. Right? Even though there is no way this person has perfectly followed this law since his youth, as He says. If this man were really a bad guy, maybe Christ would have pointed that out. But he wasn't, a, he wasn't a bad person. By outward appearances, he did obey. He was, a, he was a good person. And actually this was his problem. He was trusting only in his goodness. And he thought there was some other maybe good thing that he could do to inherit eternal life. So, our Lord Jesus Christ, he starts, he's saying, okay, if this is your understanding of what salvation means, I'm going to play by your rules. If you just want something to do, go, sell all you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. Go, sell, give, come follow. This is the path. But it's a hard one because it's sort of a destruction or an explosion of this man's entire life. He obeyed all of the law, but he lacked one thing. What was the thing that he lacked? What was the most important law? What is the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. So in essence, our Lord Jesus Christ is saying, If you've obeyed the law, obey this. If you call me good and only God is good, obey this. Make me your only possession. Attach your life to me alone. Go, sell, give, come, follow. Then you're going to have eternal life because you will have me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why did our Lord Jesus Christ speak in this way? He's not just simply trying to add another rule for this man to follow in a list of requirements to check off. Instead, he is sort of challenging the man to stop thinking about his relationship with God as a matter of law and set of behaviors which he could just master. Someone who responds to the Old Testament laws by saying, you know what, I've followed all of those since I was a kid. That means he has a very shallow understanding of what God is requiring of us. Right, That would be like one of us saying, you know, I've always perfectly been a faithful Christian since childhood. Right? It's not that simple. In the Sermon on the Mount, our Lord Jesus Christ, He shows us really the true meaning of following God's law and His requirements. He says, we are guilty of murder if we become angry with others, if we hate them or insult them. He says, we are guilty of adultery if we commit adultery in our hearts and in our minds. If we do not love God with everything that we have and love our neighbors as ourselves, we've broken the greatest commandments. So if you have sort of any spiritual insight at all, you'll see that none of us have been able to master God's requirements. None of us can stand in front of God, in front of the good teacher, bragging that we have completed or fulfilled all of the commandments. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, like St. Paul tells us. So our Lord Jesus Christ is trying to wake this man up out of his sort of delusion that he has of his life, his own sort of false sense of self-confidence by giving him a commandment that would be very, very difficult for him to keep, giving away all of his beloved possessions, his money, his power, his status. And maybe for the first time in this guy's life, he was challenged to see that like eternal life is, is something that is not easy for me to obtain. It's not just following a couple of rules. If I can't give up the things which I love most in my life for God, then I'm not, or I'm obviously not been able to fulfill what God is expecting of me. And since Christ came to unite our fallen humanity with His divinity and to conquer sin and death, it's pretty clear that even the most law-abiding person, the person who follows the commandments since his youth, is in need of the mercy, the grace, and the love of Christ in order to inherit eternal life. By our own power, and this is what he talks about a lot in the rest of the passage, by our own power, it's not possible to enter into heaven. He says, how can a wealthy person enter the heaven? It's harder than uh, a camel going through the eye of a needle. As we are continuing to prepare for the coming of Christ and the Feast of the Nativity, it would be good for us to remember that this feast is not just the birth of just a teacher or a lawgiver or a good example for us. If our Lord Jesus Christ was just another prophet with strict teaching, actually we would not rejoice at His coming. We would, like the rich young ruler, we would be going away sad and sorrowful and dejected. Because the last thing we need is another law that we are unable to obey and just make us to feel guilty. The Son of God was not born on the Feast of the Nativity to add to the burden of the law, or to give us an impression that everything is going to be well if we obey a new set of teachings. He became incarnate as a human to do what just the law could not do on its own, right, to make us partakers of the divine nature, to heal and to fulfill our fallen, our corrupt humanity. To make it possible for us as mortals to be united with God. The Lord's very shocking statement about giving away everything challenged the rich young ruler to stop thinking about his life before God in just strictly legalistic terms. And the same way we should use our praying, our fasting, our almsgiving, the other spiritual disciplines that we have in the Nativity Feast or the nativity fast, excuse me, to be shocked out of our conventional and shallow assumptions about what it means to share in eternal life. Christ was not born, of course, to bring us into self-indulgence, to popularity, to whatever the world calls success. But at the same time, He did not come to make us strict legalists who think that holiness can be reduced to a list of do's and don'ts. And He of course did not come and take on flesh in order to make His followers self-righteous judges of others. The Son of God became man for completely different reasons. Out of a complete and unfathomable love, He wanted to make possible the things which is impossible for us on our own. We might sometimes take pride in the things that we're able to accomplish. But which one of us can take credit for the birth of Christ? Our Lord Jesus Christ's birth, His life, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, are not human accomplishments or rewards. They are miraculous manifestations of God's eternal life and His love for this world that was stuck in sin and death and corruption. So we prepare to receive Christ in the Feast of the Nativity by opening our hearts and our souls to His salvation not simply by mastering laws, but by true repentance. Both in our private prayers and in the sacrament of confession, which I would encourage all of us to partake of during the Advent fast. We repent by honestly confessing our sins, asking for the Lord's mercy, even as we sort of make a resolution, a resolve to begin a new life with Him. Yes, we have to cooperate with God's mercy and grace by doing what we can to live faithfully it's not just I ask God to help me and, and, and that's it I am participating but even the best life does not somehow earn us heaven in fact actually the most the more we grow in holiness as we become more holy the more and more we begin to see clearly the gravity or the the, the severity of our sins and how far really we are from the full stature for the perfection of that Christ calls us to. The closer we grow to Him, the less we think of our salvation as a reward for good behavior. Right? As I get closer to Him, I understand how far really I am, how different I am than God, and He accepts me, even in this state. Although I have risen up levels of holiness, I actually find myself, as I get closer to God, recognizing more and more my faults and my deficiencies. So I would hope and my prayer is that this Advent fast be marked by humility, by repentance, by spiritual disciplines for us all. Not because, or not just because we have broken the law, but because we have room to grow in our relationship with Christ. Our hearts and our souls are not worthy of Him and yet still He becomes incarnate for us. We not serve Him for example in every poor and suffering person. We don't seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. We are not perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. But unlike the rich young ruler, we can't give up and go away in despair. Instead we should say, My Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because the thing that is impossible with man is, is, becomes possible through the incarnation of God. He is not just a set of laws, He is a person. May God give us the strength, the the determination to follow Him into eternal life. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.